You are in the ring with Hector Galon, seven-time national boxing champion turned nonprofit president and CEO. Hector knocks out the big issues facing social services today with high-impact leaders from around the U.S. In the Ring is a creation of Lutheran Social Services of Wisconsin and Upper Michigan and is produced by No Studios. And now, here's Hector Galon. Hello, 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 and welcome to In the Ring with Hector Colon, the show that gets real about the challenges facing the social services sector and the people we serve. I am so grateful for the wisdom I gain in season in my season one interviews with thought leaders from across the country on how they are addressing the challenges for their colleagues, the people we serve, and ensuring the financial viability of our sector. You can check out all of my interviews at LSSWIS slash in the ring. I hope these conversations spark awareness and they will serve as inspiration for all of those connected to our sector or interested in learning more about our sector. This year, we're going to dig into the punching power of our sector, highlighting the many ways that thought leaders from across the country are knocking out these challenges and moving their organizations forward. You can subscribe on YouTube, follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn so you don't miss any of these important conversations in the future. Thank you to In The Ring sponsor, M3. We are so appreciative of your Spartan, of your sponsorship, your partnership, and all you do to help us fulfill our mission and move it forward. Okay, as my coach Shorty used to say, let's go, champ. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> In the ring with me today is Bill McCashin, partner with Michael Best Strategies and a tremendous advisor on strategy, government relations, public affairs, public policy, and stakeholder engagement. Thank you for joining us, Bill. Great to be with you. You got loose in the warm-up there. I didn't uh, realize you were a seven-time national champion. I'm a two-time state champion in hockey. Oh, I great. led the team in penalty minutes, so let's see how this thing plays out over the next awesome. few I'm, minutes. I'm looking forward to going <laughs> a few rounds with you. So Bill is the youngest person to ever hold a gubernatorial chief of staff and cabinet secretary positions in Wisconsin. How old were you? I was 27 when I was chief of staff, 29 when I was cabinet secretary. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. He served in those roles under former Governor uh, Tommy Thompson, where he oversaw economic development programs throughout the state. Eventually, he was appointed by Governor Thompson's 1994 camp as campaign manager, where he led and secured a landslide victory, 67% victory, for Thompson, making it the highest margin in state history and the largest since 1992. Before joining Michael Best Strategies, Bill worked in Madison for 23 years in government relations and public affairs. It is where he honed his skills with the private sector and nonprofit organizations, building strategic relationships, managing public images, and implementing grassroots advocacy programs. Bill's combined decades of experience, along with his success as a lobbyist, makes him an effective advisor and advocate for clients. In addition to his busy government affairs work, Bill is a realtor and broker and proud founder of President of Janesville Jets, a North American Hockey League team. Okay, are you ready for round one? I'm ready. Great. We're going to talk about the Wisconsin state budget uh, priorities. 
And as you know, uh, Governor Evers is calling the 2023 the year of mental health and has a huge priority that he's focusing uh, on mental health in his budget, which at LSS we're very happy with. Uh, we're also happy that uh, Scott Walker, you know, many called him the governor of mental health. And one of the significant things I think he brought was, um, you know, providing the state match on CCS, Comprehensive Community Services, and LSS administers many of those programs throughout Wisconsin. We're very proud of both Governor Evers uh, and Scott Walker for their support on mental health. But we're here right now. And this is in a very important year, very important budget with significant opportunities for us as a state. Uh, what noise are you hearing around mental health being a priority or staying as a priority in this state budget the way Governor Evers is proposing? Hector, I think you pointed it out correctly, which is this is a bipartisan issue. Uh, you know, teen suicides are increasing, teen obesity is increasing, test scores are going down. I mean, something's going on with our younger generation, and and mental health is a big piece of that. We see that on the Janesville Jets hockey team, where kids have struggles that you wouldn't have seen maybe a decade ago. And and I think it is a priority for the state. I'm glad that Governor Evers uh, highlighted in his budget message, and I think Republicans are prepared to respond to that in the weeks and days ahead. That's great. Um, from your understanding, what specifics are being discussed? There's a lots of different funding approaches uh, relating to mental health. And what, what are some of those uh, specifics being discussed right now? Well, the most recent, the Joint Finance Committee is just getting rolling. Uh, they approved $7 million this week for a psychiatric residency program at the Medical College of Wisconsin. Uh, that is supposed to do three things, increase access to mental health services, improve recruitment and retention of psychiatrists here in the state of Wisconsin, and address a psychiatry shortage or uh, shortage of mental health professionals. So uh, the Finance Committee, on their very second day of, of action, decided to tackle the first part of this. I don't think they're done with the mental health issue. Uh, so I'd say they're off to a good start at recognizing this is a significant issue that needs to be addressed. That's great. I, I really appreciate that. And, and I'm hopeful that, like you said, it is this is a, a bipartisan issue. Yeah, uh, it's not a Democratic uh, issue, Republican. It's it's a human issue. Right. And I'm glad both are willing to come to the table to do something great uh, for those suffering uh, or, or challenge have challenging issues uh, with mental health. What are some of the significant and pressing priorities uh, that compete with mental health? Right. I mean, Right now, there yeah. are just so many priorities. I'm on the UW uh, system uh, board, and you know, and we know that um, we're a priority as well. But right. there are so many. What are some of those priorities you're hearing? UW system is one of the top four, but let me give you the sort of the top three: uh, taxes. I think both Governor Evers and Republicans in the legislature want to find a way to do some type of income tax cut. Uh, schools, obviously, they're going to be a high priority. Governor Evers was sec our superintendent of public instruction for a couple terms, deputy superintendent before that. It's a high priority for him. I believe Republicans will meet him at least halfway on K-12 funding. Uh, aids to local municipalities. That actually has gotten the most attention so far. Uh, there's a tentative agreement between Republican lawmakers and the mayor of Milwaukee, the county executive of Milwaukee, and the county's association, towns association, league of municipalities 
Governor Evers this week said uh, he didn't like the deal as as it stands and is asking for some changes to it. But that's a huge priority. And then fourth, as you pointed out, Hector, is uh, the University of Wisconsin system. I think mental health is in the top five, but you got four huge issues competing with you. That's right. And I just want to share how I could see mental health and health and human services embedded in all of those priorities. For example, taxes. If if we can do better uh, for those individuals that are connected to Medicaid, uh, reduce their their uh, cost, improve their outcomes, keep them in the community. Um, that's what mental health can do. And providers such as us, we do a good job uh, at making sure that that we could do that. Obviously, in the schools, we think about school center mental health, where we can provide those children uh, with the therapy they need to be successful, improve their grades, improve their attendance, uh, and allow them to learn at an early age. Uh, but then we wrap around the parents, too, yeah, to make sure to. That, that they are well and that they have good housing and it's affordable and they have transportation and medical. Uh, and then shared revenue. When shared revenue comes to cities and to counties, that allows organizations like us to to maybe access some of those services right. to uh, serve in. The, so I see mental health embedded in all of those three uh, key priorities, and I hope we find ways to to get that done. Yeah, I think that's well put. Uh, there's no question that those things trans transfer into all of those priorities. And uh, I think it is an issue that is going to get addressed. Obviously, the Finance Committee got off to a pretty good start this week, but there's still quite a bit of time left on the clock or in the in the, in the the yeah. round, so go. to speak. And uh, so we'll see how things go over the next six weeks. We're not going to let the bell ring until we're not going to let the bell ring. Make sure you get that mental health right. uh, agenda in there. How, are, how at risk is mental health as a priority in this in this final uh, uh, budget, again, just so many pressing priorities, so many opportunities. A lot happens like very fast. Right. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think the challenge, Hector, on funding overall is Republicans are s- still want to know how the CARES and the ARPA monies were mm-hmm. funded. There was a significant investment in mental health. During the COVID pandemic, uh, I think Republicans rightfully want to know how those dollars were spent, what kind of impact they had before they add monies on top of that. I'm not saying they won't add monies. I believe that they will. But they rightfully want to find out how were those initial dollars spent and what were the metrics? Did did we have some success? What worked? What didn't work? So I think they want to be strategic about taxpayer resources. Uh, there is a state surplus. I think your viewers know that, but it's uh, may not be as big as you might think. Probably three million of the seven billion is ongoing, which means it could be built into the base. Four billion of that is uh, one-time money. So you don't want to overextend on an ongoing program with one-time money. And I think Republican lawmakers are going to be pretty mindful about that. That's great. Yeah, and I agree that um, you know we've been saying at LSS, hold us accountable. We want to make sure that. When you invest in us, there's going to be a return on investment, and we're really going to make a difference in the lives of the people we serve. And ultimately, it's going to be good for the taxpayer, right. good for the people we serve, and good for society in general. LSS are the kind of partners the state needs. People Thank you. that Thank understand you. that uh, they got to deliver for the dollars, and you guys certainly do. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. That completes round one. And round two, we're going to talk about Medicaid reimbursement and also about uh, mental health prevention. Supporting your employees is more than a paycheck and 401k. It's just a fact. 
People today are at a higher risk of experiencing mental illness, housing insecurity, and substance abuse. Do you know the health of your employees, your communities? How can you step up your benefits to better address their well-being? M3 Insurance helps businesses see beyond basic benefits and support employees where they live. It's a meet-them-where-they-are approach that LSS delivers to their clients every day. M3 and LSS offer real solutions to now commonplace realities that strengthen employees and inspire communities to thrive. Test your employee benefit strategy now by going to m3ins.com. All right. Are you ready for round two? You didn't knock me out yet. I'm ready. Let's go, champ. (laughs) (laughs) All right. In this round, we want to talk a little bit about, you know, what we perceive in our sector as low reimbursement um, for the services we provide. And this idea that we are always working towards solving a crisis and um, or or intervention instead of prevention. Uh, it's hard to fund prevention, right? Because you can't necessarily measure the outcomes immediately. And when there's a scarcity of of resources, you know, we want to go into the intervention right away. I I'm a big believer of prevention. Me too. Let's try to prevent these a crisis situation from occurring. Somebody penetrating the criminal justice system, we can avoid that. So want to get into that a little bit, but how can Republicans and Democrats come together around the issue of preventative mental health so communities can move upstream uh, and approach those those challenges more proactively? I think they rally around proven models like what LSS does uh, in communities across the state where prevention has had an impact, uh, especially on uh, disadvantaged populations. Uh, I think that that's something that Republicans and Democrats can agree on, that prevention does make a difference. I mean, it may not look like it to your viewers, but I'm a Peloton athlete, uh, may not eat the best, but I'm doing <laughs> I'm doing the best I can I to get stay, you... in, stay in shape yeah. so I can battle with you, Hector. And, uh, <laughs> I think that this there is a recognition in Madison on both sides, from the governor on down, uh, that prevention does work. And the more we can focus on that, the less we have to spend on the backside of this. And that could include all the way to prison, right? I mean, if you, if you don't take care of kids when they're young, get them the education they need, teach them how to read, things like that, the outcomes are probably pretty predictable and they're not good. You know, one of the honest challenges, though, with, with prevention is you don't see it right away. Right. It could be five years maybe 10 years, and that doesn't fall within the general election cycle. So I, I see that as a challenge, and I'm, I'm hoping that more people are willing to talk about the importance of prevention because from a long-term perspective, it's going to make a difference. And that's what we need as taxpayers, as, as people in this community. we got to fight for that because you might not see the immediate gains but it's certainly going to play a big role in our future. And the mental health issue may surprise you in the folks that have it, right? We've had kids come to Janesville to play for the Jets that come from great families, super background. Uh, they're gifted athletes. And mom and dad had no idea that Johnny had an issue. Uh, but when he gets to us and he starts traveling uh, and, you know, to, uh, he's on a hectic schedule, that issue presents itself. And, and then we have to deal with it. And we've got a great team at Mercy Health that helps us. But it can come in all shapes and forms. It's not just advantaged kids. It's not poor kids. It's not middle-class kids. It's all kids 
today are experiencing some of these mental health issues, and it's, you know, it's it's nearing a crisis level. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so talk about the budget surplus and what's available there, and how can they be used to support mental health? Well, obviously, there's base funding for mental health, and there's probably three million dollars or three billion rather in the surplus that could be used for ongoing expenditures. Probably another $4 billion uh, is one-time money. One-time money is good for things that can have an immediate impact, That uh, whether it's teaching teachers how to teach reading, for example, uh, to help our kids read better and improve our reading scores, or things like that that are of a one-time nature where you can have an immediate impact. That's probably the best use of those monies. In your role as a, as a regent, uh, uh, buildings on campus are also a pretty good use of one-time money. Whether it's a building on UW-Milwaukee's campus or UW-Eau Claire or UW-Madison, rather than debt service and, and bonding for that building, we've got cash, we can pay cash. It'd be like paying cash for a home. It makes good economic sense. So I think those are the kinds of things. Roads. You could put more money into local roads so that locals could fill more potholes uh, each season. Those are things that are probably a good use of one-time money. That's good. Yeah, I agree that uh, we got to be careful to make sure if um, we're investing in mental health that it's sustainable. It has to be. Because if not, then we we provide great outcomes. One example of that for us is uh, when I first came to LSS, we had the School Center Mental Health Program, and it was funded by the federal government. It was a five-year grant, and they had great outcomes, um, showed the outcomes for the child in the classroom, how it improved. Uh, their their symptoms, their their grades, and their attendance, and uh, but then the grant was gone, and then we we uh, no longer had the funding to continue to support that program. But we brought that program back, and we're reaching out to um, funders and and the legislature and and trying to get some more funding uh, for that because we feel it's a wonderful program and one that gets the kids early. It's early intervention, it's prevention, it's holistic, and uh, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, Does the budget address the broader social determinants of health? You know, we we know that uh, the medical uh, system talks about how the social determinants of health is really what improves the health and well-being of not only families, individuals, but our broader community, that housing, that food, uh, insecurity issues, the transportation, uh, the financial viability, the the doctors, the you know, all of this stuff comprehensively is what improves the health and well-being of the people we serve and all the Wisconsinites. Is this being addressed at all in the budget? I- Hector, I think it's a great question, and and I would argue that Governor Evers probably would say his budget does do that, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's addressing transportation or local aids or school issues or or uh, post-secondary education, mental health issues, health care in general, I think he would argue that he is trying to address those. I think Republicans' budget will do the same, maybe in a slightly different manner uh, as they complete the process. But one of the things I think it's important for your viewers to understand is we've got divided government in Wisconsin. We have Republicans in control of the Assembly and in, in the Senate. Uh, they both picked up seats in the November elections, yet Governor Evers was reelected by a larger margin than he was four years prior and by more votes. So we've got divided government. So there are three certainties in life. Uh, taxes, uh, you know, and, and compromise are two <laughs> yeah. of those when you got divided. Death yeah. taxes and compromise uh, are those three certainties. Republicans won't get everything they want. 
the governor has the strongest partial veto in the country. My former boss, Tommy Thompson, used that well, as did Governor Walker, Governor Doyle, Governor McCallum before them. Um, and Governor Evers won't get everything he wants. So it's critical that they f sort of find that middle ground on key issues. And they're sort of working their way through that right now on the shared revenue issue. And I, I think they're going to get there. And if they do, that's going to be that's going to portend very well for the future going forward. You know, I think it's it's hard to find hope when you when you hear the headlines and the divisiveness uh, that exists amongst both parties. And um, so it's hard to find hope. I know a lot behind, happens behind the scenes and and I hear from both the right and the left, Hector, there's actually a lot more compromise and a lot more cordiality than you actually see in the news. Uh, what do you think about that? Could you share a little bit of what your it's, thoughts on it's that? It's true. So being on the inside, uh, I worked for a state senator before I went to work for Governor Thompson. And, and uh, you know, I spent 10 great years with Governor Thompson. The reality is a lot of work does get done behind, not in front of the microphone, but behind it. And uh, there were discussions after the governor said he would veto the current version of the shared revenue package almost immediately yesterday between the governor's staff and staff for the speaker and the uh, majority leader. And they're trying to find that 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 middle ground where they can all agree where nobody's going to get everything they wanted in the package, but it's something they can and all support. And if nobody's fully in support of it, it probably was a pretty good deal. Good, good. There's a lot of money available for children's mental health in this budget. Um, are those dollars available for organizations like us at LSS, or are they going to be directed specifically to the Department of uh, DPI uh, Education, and are they going to administer those funds, or are there opportunities for organizations like us to partner with education and do what we do best? We, we know mental health. So success in Madison starts with trust, and you need to have trust between the Republican majorities and the Democratic governor, or trust between the Republican majorities and the Democrat-leaning superintendent of public instruction. I don't know that DPI is going to get all the resources that the governor has recommended. There just isn't a level of trust there yet, but I do believe that community-based organizations like LSS will get those an opportunity to access those funds, maybe through a different department, maybe through specific grants. Uh, but but I'm not sure DPI is going to get all the resources uh, or the positions that the governor's requested. In fact, if I had to bet, I would guess they won't. Okay. Yeah, I think it's good that we don't, uh, you know, reinvent the wheel. I mean, we right. uh, those partnerships. You're doing it. You're doing it DPI successfully. DPI knows education. We know mental health. And right. not only us, but many other nonprofit providers that provide health and human services all across the state. So, yeah, that'd be great if we could partner up with education and others to improve the health and well-being of people who need needed most. It may be done at the district level rather than through uh, DPI. It may be done through the CSIS. So I think there are a lot of options that could be on the table over the next several weeks. That completes round two. In round three, we're going to talk about how we can better advocate for funds so that it supports organizations that are addressing the health and human needs of the people in Wisconsin. Okay, are you ready for round three? I'm ready. Let's, Let's go. All right. So we want to talk about public and private advocacy and support in this round. How can our sector successfully advocate for Medicaid reimbursement to include funding for a family coach? So our, our school center mental health model, uh, there is reimbursement services for that therapist and the child interaction, 
But our comprehensive model where we're trying to wrap around the parents with the understanding that better mom, dad, brother, sister is doing within the household, the better that that child is going to ultimately do. So uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what, what that looks like and a potential process would be. Well, my firm, Michael Best Strategies, is proud to help you in Madison for Lutheran Social Services. Let me tell you, rule number one in lobbying, anything other than a yes is a no. If a lawmaker says that sounds good, hmm, I, I sort of like that, those are actually no's. So anything other than a yes is a no. It's the top rule in lobbying. Mm-hmm. Second rule I'll tell you is even though I do this for a living, the people at home are going to be much more effective than I am because you, they. this is your lawmaker. If you are their constituent, you are going to have their ear a lot more than a hired lobbyist would because they have to face you back home in the grocery store, maybe at church, maybe your kids are in the same school together. So even though it seems intimidating for a regular citizen to 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 want to lobby or to do the lobbying, you're actually very effective at it. No matter what or how you deliver your message, you can be more effective than a lobbyist and you can make a difference. The third rule I'll tell you is you have to be on the field. If you're not on the field, uh, well, as they say, if, if, if you're not at the table, you are on the menu. So you, you have to be involved in this process uh, to make sure that your interests are represented. If, if I'm advising you on how to do that best, Hector, I would say personalize it. Make sure when you're telling a story, you can personalize it and make it very real. The dollars and the cents thing will work itself out over time in the, leg- in the legislative process. But if you can tell a story that's relatable, that lawmaker X can say, wow, that's, that's compelling, that moved me, you're gonna have a much better opportunity to, to make your case for reimbursement or for additional services or things like that. Personalization is huge. Thank you. Thank you. And like you said, um, you know, so many people are affected and, and touched uh, by mental health. So whether it be a family member, a brother, a sister, a cousin, a friend, uh, it touches all of us in some way or another. Um, so, yeah, I agree. Thank you. Um, that personalization, I think, is is really important because through that we can connect. Um, it's what it's about. You're connecting with your lawmaker. They may not have met you before, but now they know you're a constituent of mm-hmm. theirs and they won't forget you. If you've got yeah. a compelling story, uh, no matter how you tell it, they won't forget you. Okay, great. And I just realized that anything but yes is a no. That's right. So I might have not known, but there could have been a lot of no's in my in my life, you know, if I didn't get a yes. Uh, even seasoned lobbyists don't understand that rule. <laughs> <laughs> but if that lawmaker didn't say, I'm with you and I'm going to vote for mm. your issue, you got to put him in the no column. Okay. No, thank you. That that That's helpful to know. And and just think about that to, to try to get to the yes. You got to get to yes. Always yeah. be selling. Okay, great. How can our sector demonstrate the value uh, in terms of payback of initial investment and early intervention prevention services that we've been talking about, because that's what they want to see, right? Right. Well, you guys deal with folks in their most vulnerable state, right? Mm-hmm. And you you have results, uh, and you can prove that. You have uh, data that you can share with lawmakers or the Department of Health or the Medicaid division at the Department of Health that help move the needle for the things you're trying to accomplish financially. Uh, to get better reimbursement rates or to get more funding for a specific program or to try a new program. 
if you have data that backs it up and, and every health system in Wisconsin has that data, uh, the encounter data, you, you can make a difference with it. Uh, numbers work in the capital. The compelling story is going to move the needle faster, but data certainly helps. Great. Yeah. It's, it's the heart and mind combination, right? That's right. You have to first get them with the heart, with that emotion, that compelling story, that difference, that impact, uh, but then support it with the data. No question. Uh, the data shows that you're going to save the taxpayer money. You're, yeah, you're, for an upfront you, cost, there's a pretty significant ROI on the backside, and right. here's how you get there. Great. That's great. compelling. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So what can individual citizens, businesses, community advocates do right now to ensure that mental health care uh, provided by our sector rises as a priority and remains in this budget? My advice would be keep the rhetoric calm. Don't, mm -hmm. don't dial things up. I think there's too much of that in politics already on both sides. Focus on the facts. Focus on your personal story. But get involved. Don't be afraid to, you know, you might be a stay-at-home mom and you don't think you have the time. A phone call, an email, uh, those things can be persuasive. They'll lead to a phone call, probably follow-up from the lawmaker's office. So you can have an impact. You can get involved with organizations like LSS or others who are involved in the mental health space that are doing similar things. And they, there is, there's sort of... Um, security in numbers, right? If you're, if other people are doing the same thing you're trying to do, your story may be different, uh, but that makes it a little bit easier. But remember, we used to tell, uh, our coaches told us this when we'd go up to Canada to play hockey. I grew up in the northern part of Wisconsin, and we'd go to Canada every year to play, and we always thought they were better just because mm -hmm. they were Canadians and it's hockey, right? Well, our coach would say they tie their skates the same way you do. Well, these folks put their shoes on the same way you do every day, all of them came from a private sector background, and so they're regular people, uh, and they're here to learn. They're generalists. They, they may have some expertise in certain areas based on their background, but they have to deal with thousands of issues, so they can't possibly know the ins and outs of all of them. So if you've got a compelling story that's very personal, you're going to have an impact. Thank you. That's, again, great advice. I appreciate that. So last question, how are you going to use your punching power to advocate for our sector in this budget. My job is to introduce you guys to the right lawmakers. Who are the decision makers? Who are the people that are really Dr. Oz behind the curtain making those final decisions? And, and uh, the members of the Joint Finance Committee are obviously the key targets now. Legislative lever leadership on both sides of the aisle, but you can't rule out the governor, even though he's introduced the budget, uh, it's still going to go back to him, and he's going to have to sign that bill at the end of the day. So you want to make sure that whatever you're working with Republican lawmakers on to get in, the Governor Evers will ultimately support that when it gets to him at the end of the process. So don't just w focus on uh, the legislature. Don't forget the governor's office as well. Uh, but if you've got a compelling story to tell, now's the time to tell it. Lawmakers are going to – they're in the sprint here for the next five, six weeks to get this state budget done. Uh, and then it'll be voted on on both houses and sent to the governor by the 4th of July. Well, thank you so much, Bill. That was a knockout Great interview. Great to be with you. Appreciate you so much for your partnership, your friendship, and everything you've done for LSS. Uh, appreciate you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate thank, it. Thank you. Well, that was a great interview with Bill. I'm so appreciative of the insights that he provided and just kind of want to summarize some of the things that he mentioned. You know, when we talk about mental health, he shared that this is not a partisan issue. This crosses across uh, political parties, across 
classes, you know, everybody can be impacted and is impacted in some way or another by mental health. You know, he talked about some of the priorities. You know, I asked him, would mental health remain as a priority within this budget? And he talked about the top three, really the top four uh, uh, priority issues in this budget that he thinks. Uh, one is taxes, uh, two schools, uh, three shared revenue, and also fourth, uh, the UW system. And what I shared is that mental health is part of every single one of those priorities. Um, with mental health, when we do it right, uh, we can do it efficient, and we could have a big, a good rate of return that impacts the taxpayer in a positive way. School center mental health is something that we are advocating for in this budget. When we do that well, we do. We have early intervention, prevention, and we wait uh, instead of waiting for a crisis to happen, which is really the current model. Uh, and shared revenue. When shared revenue comes into cities and counties, there's going to be more resources available for individuals, organizations like ours, to improve the health and well-being of those communities. He talked a little bit about how uh, we have to have impact and proven models to approach uh, the legislature, Joint Finance Committee, so you can have a hope uh, in this budget. And he also talked about how there are $7 billion available, three of which could be available for ongoing services, and $4 billion, which would be available for one-time events. That's a lot of money. And even that $3 billion that will go to ongoing care, I'm hoping that health and human services, mental health services um, are part of that. But that is a substantial amount of money that could make a dramatic impact on those that most need it. You know, he shared with us that anything, when you're working with the legislature, anything but a yes is a no. And so that's important to know. So you got to continue to convince and, and, and try to get to that yes, because until you hear that yes, it is a no. But also, how do you get to that yes? He talked about personalize it, you know, connect with the heart, uh, but then show the data. So that's that heart and that mind approach. But first start with the heart, connect, get to that emotion, then support it with data that's going to show and articulate what that rate of return is and how it will impact uh, the taxpayers. And finally, uh, he talked about how can we be most successful? Uh, bring down the rhetoric, uh, show the facts, uh, and also articulate those stories. And lastly, get involved. Don't stay on the sidelines. We have to get involved. Make our uh, our our efforts noticed. Be present, uh, because if we're not, then we will go unnoticed, and we will not uh, get our efforts addressed uh, through this process. Thank you so much, Bill. We, you provided us with so much wisdom and insights, and we are grateful and hopeful that our sector is going to be addressed in a positive way, and specifically LSS, in a positive way in this budget. In the ring with me next is Kathy Mahaffey, CEO of Common Ground Healthcare Cooperative, the largest and most tenured Affordable Care Act individual health insurer in Wisconsin. Kathy and I will discuss what Common Ground is doing 
in their words, to make health insurance an honest business. And we will take on movements towards healthcare partnerships between health systems and social services and talk about our own partnership that we are trying to advance, ultimately to improve the health and well-being of those that need it most and are falling through the cracks. You can find out more about In the Ring with Hector Colon Podcast, our guests, and all of our episodes at lsswis in the ring. Please let me know what you think and what you want to see in future episodes. Follow, like, and share uh, at LSS on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And please subscribe to our YouTube channels so you don't miss any of these important conversations in the future. All right. Thank you, Bill. And again, thank you to our sponsor, M3. Con mucho cariño, with much affection. Bye.